<laughs> Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much. Oh, well, it's great to be back. Kate and I had an amazing time with our two youngest children in Dominican Republic. It was absolutely amazing. Uh, on a missions trip there and a little bit of vacation time as well, which was really nice. And, uh, and folks, I am really excited to let you know that I am now a double grandfather. Just, Aaron and Jess just had uh, their second child, and uh, we knew it was going to be a girl. It's not like when we were having kids, you know, it was like you waited until the actual moment, and it was like, oh, it's a girl, or oh, it's a boy, and now it's a reveal and all the rest of it anyway. Anyway, I'm just teasing. I like to tease my kids. We... We're just delighted that Zoe River was born on Thursday night, and uh, Jess did an awesome job, and Aaron apparently did a reasonably good job as well, and, uh, <laughs> and Mimi was there, and they, Aaron and Jess said Mom did a phenomenal job, so well done, Kate. And uh, Kate and I have been on grandparent duty with Jude since Thursday afternoon, and uh, what a joy being a grandfather is, everybody. I'm telling you, it, uh, being a grandfather or a grandmother is just the best. I don't think that there's anything that I've experienced in life better. I really am amazed at what a joy it is. And uh, I think it's because being a grandfather is like the, the, the closest I think I've ever experienced unconditional love. I have this unconditional love for my grandson. It is just, it just bubbles up. I don't have to try. I don't have to, you know, work anything up. I just love this little boy. He, Jude, is amazing. I thought my kids were amazing, but my grandkids, oh my gosh. I mean, I'm a mess, totally a mess. And anyone who's a grandparent, how many of you are grandparents? Put your hands up. There's a few grandparents, in, which is awesome. Um, is it not true? And uh, I think the thing, though, is that not only is it the, the, my, my best experience of unconditional love for my grandson, but I also am experiencing what unconditional love feels like from somebody else. I'm like, I just feel there's a higher degree of unconditional love from my grandson somehow towards his papa. And it is just the most amazing feeling. For example, 5.45 this morning, he wakes up. And, you know, we've got the monitor. and So we're doing our very best to ignore it. And, by the way, I have no idea how Kate and I managed with three under three except for the fact that I guess we were 24 years younger than we are. But I have no idea how did we manage to have three under three, honey, and still have jobs and, you know, take care of regular life. I mean, it's taken Kate, it's taken Abby, our middleist, and it's taken me full-time for three days focused on this one little grandson. I'm thinking, how did we do anything? <laughs> but anyway, 5.45, he wakes up, and 
Of course, back in the day when we were parents, you know, we'd have been straight in there, make sure that they're fine and, you know, have to haul ourselves out of bed. But, you know, there's something about being a grandfather that you just realize, you know what, life's not quite such an emergency after all, you know, and this child is going to live. They're going to make it. They're actually going to make it. And, uh, <laughs> and by the way, uh, I think part of it is when you raise a child, you know, well, and I want to put a caveat in that I believe that raising a child well entirely depends upon the grace of God. Um, but when you raise a child well and they become a, an amazing parent, somehow or other it's that extra little bit of joy when you're a grandparent because you know that your grandchild is in safe hands with their parents, at least reasonably safe hands. <laughs> and, um, you know, the quality of your parenthood is not actually measured in your children, I don't think. I think it's measured in your grandchildren. Because if, it, if we were to measure it, with a, if we were to have a mentality raising kids, that the quality of our raising kids is in our kids, we'd raise kids. But if we have a mentality that the quality of our parenthood is actually in the grandchildren, we'll raise parents and adults instead of children. And I think there, that there, there's a little bit of a lesson in there, actually. But anyway, the thing is, when you've raised your children to be amazing parents, and by God's grace, they are amazing parents, it's such a beautiful thing to be able to relax with your grandchildren, knowing that they're in safe hands with your kids, and somehow there's just this absence of pressure it's amazing. So I'm lying in bed and I'm thinking, I hope Mimi's woken up and she's going to go down to him. I mean, after all, I'm preaching today, you know. <laughs> and then Mimi is like, gets up and closes the door. I'm like, okay, and gets back into bed. I'm like, wow, grandparenthood is different. And sure enough, we just hear him and he's just chirping away and, you know, kind of ch chatting to himself, happy as anything. Well, at about 10 past six, I'm like, I think I ought to go to him. I go down to him. He's been in there for 25 minutes awake, just chilled out, chit-chatting to himself. I walk in, okay, and as I walk in, he goes, Papa! Can we do that again? I mean, it's unreal. This totally unconditional love coming from my grandson just so touched my heart. And I've realized, spending three days again with him, that, you know, that's how our Heavenly Father is with us. And when we worship him like we did this morning, just wasting ourselves on Jesus and loving Jesus with all of our hearts, like we did this morning, like y'all did this morning. I mean, it was just amazing. That worship that Matthew, Lily, and Linda led us in was just amazing, and the whole team. And, and, and I'm just lost in worship, and they were the same the first service. And I'm like, I'm, I'm realizing, oh my goodness, that's what the Father feels when we worship Him like that. To Him, He's hearing, Papa! And I realized that was the joy that was set before Jesus. 
to know that his work on the cross, his work of salvation, his resurrection, his ascension, his glorification has made a way for all of us to give to the Father what Jesus has given to the Father. Papa! For all of eternity. Now, because of what Jesus has done, the Father has literally millions, billions of children all saying, Papa! For eternity. And he feels that love. That, and and I've, I've never experienced a glimpse of what that love's look, love looks like until this morning when I walked in. And everywhere I go around the house, somehow after three days of us being together and me pouring my life into this little kid, just making decision after decision after decision, not to go on my iPhone, but to sit with him, not to stand, but to get down on the floor and get, get close and personal with him and play his little games and put the little shapes in the box and take time with him. I've realized his little love tanks are just getting... And everywhere I go this morning, I'm trying to find little places to hide to prepare so that I can give you a decent message. And everywhere I go, he somehow finds me, Papa! And it just, I'm undone, everybody. Because this is the love that the Father has for us and that he feels from us because he's lavished us with his love. It's amazing. It's amazing. And uh, you know what else I've realized? I've realized sin really sucks. When I was a parent, I knew that sin sucked. But as a parent, I was far more fixated on sin sucks because you're not doing the right thing. Now, as a grandparent, I'm realizing sin sucks even more because you're missing out on the right thing. When I was a parent, let me say it differently. When I was a parent, I was focused on sin sucks because you shouldn't be doing the wrong thing. As a grandfather, I'm realizing sin really sucks because it's keeping you from the right thing. Of course, I knew and understood that a little bit as a parent, but somehow I've come to realize. My experience, I said to Murray this morning, my experience, Murray, over this weekend is that somehow or other being a parent It's a little bit like what it must have been like for the ancient Israelites with the law of Moses. They've got the law. They've got the testaments of God, the testimonies of God, the statutes of God. They've got the law. And so, like the psalmist in Psalm 119 can write, goodness, I don't know how, what, 170-something verses? How many does Psalm 119 have? I can't remember, but 176, something like that. I'm like... Every single verse is, Lord, your statutes are so good. You're so, may I love your laws and your, your testimonies. And, and every single part of your law is beautiful and holy. And I love it so much and so on and so forth. And that's because it is. And you know what? Even under the law, they still had the ability to make choices and choose to be obedient, albeit in their own strength. And they could choose righteousness, albeit their own righteousness, which actually wasn't enough. Because what God intended for us all and has given us all in Christ Jesus is not our own righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness, 
where he's given us his perfect gift of righteousness as a grace, an act of grace and love and mercy, where he's totally forgiven us of all of our sins and he's given us his gift of righteousness. And I realized that parenting's a little bit like experiencing what the Israelites must have experienced where, you know, you can choose to do the right thing. And they did choose. Many of them did choose the right thing. But it doesn't compare to being in Christ where that choice is fueled by supernatural power on the inside because the righteousness is not out of your own efforts. It's out of His righteousness that's a gift to you. And somehow being a grandfather is just that kind of realm. That's the only way I can liken it. Over here, you're having to work it. You're having to concentrate. You're having to think about everything you do as a parent. But my gosh, over here, and you can do it, but over here as a grandfather, oh my gosh. It's, it's just easy because there's all this, this extra power of experience and wisdom and knowledge. And that's what it's like for us in Christ. I'm not saying we're all old and wrinkly like I'm getting. <laughs> but, you know, I, I just, man, I'm, I'm in love with being a grandfather. Can you tell? Okay, let's turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. This morning I told everybody to turn to Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Meanwhile, I turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. Just goes to show how sleep-deprived I am of three days of having our grandson in the house. Anyway, what shall we say then, verse 1? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? You know, I've been reminded again over the weekend how much, how the reality of us being born sinners, born with a tendency to desire to do things our way, and to discover what it feels like to go on an adventure into the unknown, and therefore the power of intrigue that Satan has seized upon the opportunity afforded by, I believe, God's gift of creativity that he's given us because we were made in his image. That gift of creativity, the enemy saw as an opportunity and has twisted that gift of adventure and gift of opportunity to become an opportunity for him to sow temptation to our hearts. And somehow or other, even though he said you could eat of all, God said you could eat the tree, fruit from the trees of every tree in this garden, including, by the way, the fruit of the tree of life that's in the middle of the garden, but you must not eat of this tree that's in the middle, the tree of the fruit, the, tr the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That you must not eat, because in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. And there's something about the way we're wired for adventure and creativity, even from the beginning, that afforded the enemy that opportunity to seize on something beautiful that God gave us, our free will, to choose to love God. He jumped on that opportunity, twisted it, twisted the image of God that Adam and Eve had, and sowed a doubt 
about God's goodness and God's motives. And it resulted in a meeting of our creativity and passion for adventure with a questioning of God's goodness and God's motives towards us with an explosive, overwhelming temptation to sin that Eve and Adam both fell into. And even though they could have eaten of everything, they were just purely fixated on this one thing. I've got to eat from this fruit, the wrong fruit. And I've noticed that in my grandson. It's like, I've got, we've got this cross, and it's a beautiful cross. It's been made by a friend of mine who's a craftsman. He made this beautiful, beautiful cross for Kate and I. He used to be our PA years ago in Toronto. And now he's a craftsman. He builds houses, but he makes artisan craft. And he built this beautiful cross that sits uh, by the fire at our house. And it's got these three nails that hold aspects of this cross together. And um, those nails are about this long, and they're, they're kind of a wedge shape. They're very reminiscent of the Roman uh, nails that probably Jesus was crucified with. And my grandson, first day, Actually, no, I, I need to do that again. First day, Jude, no, that's, that's Mimi and Papa's cross. You can put that nail back. No. No. It was like a flipping Mr. Bean show. I'm like, you've got so much. Go for it. Knock yourself out with all of it. You got it all. And all he wants is that one nail. That's just like you. It's just like me. We've got so much goodness in Christ Jesus to explore We've been set free from the law of sin and death. We've been given a gift of righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are made holy as he's holy. We're perfect now as he's perfect. We're filled with his glory. We're filled with himself. We're united to Christ. And here we are with all the endless opportunities of the kingdom of heaven being advanced through us. And all we think about is... Can I go back there again? Like just one little bit? It's crazy, isn't it? And you know, I think part of it is that we believe this lie that as Christians, sin is really easy and righteousness is really hard. No, that's what it was like before we were Christians. Before we were Christians, sin was so easy and righteousness was impossible. But now that we're in Christ, it's the opposite way round. The truth is, don't listen to the devil. The, he's a liar. The truth is, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And righteousness is your true nature. It's what's easy to you. Sin is actually really hard for you. You have to, you have to think about it. You've got to be fixated on it. You've got to calculate over it. You've got to think about whether you're going to get caught. You've got to think about what's my line going to be when I am caught. 
You've got to think about how I can keep it secret so nobody will know. How am I going to keep my wife from knowing that I've spent that money on my credit card? How am I going to keep my husband from knowing that I did this or I did that? And we're just obsessed. We become obsessed. We're fixated on this thing and we work it. We work it. We work it so hard. If we're not careful, we become practiced at it again. And what you become practiced at, you become really good at it. It's like a tennis player. They can hit, they, if they're practiced hard enough, they can send that volley straight over the skin, the top of the net, and get it into that back corner every single time. Why? Because of muscle memory. Because they practiced it. Because they've been so good at it. And you know what? As Christians, even though you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, if you choose to go back and practice the old sins, you'll be just as good good at them as you were before you got saved. It's just that instead of it being easy, you have to work hard at it now. But the good news, everybody, is that you are now in Christ Jesus. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Do you not all know that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. I want you to notice it's a choice. It's a choice. However, that choice that you make is backed up instantaneously by a phenomenal, no, not a phenomenal, the ultimate power that's ever existed in and out of the universe, the power of the Father, the glory of the Father, who raised his dead son, and lifted him up far above all rule and authority, Ephesians 1 verse 19 and 20, and seated him at the right hand of the Father, the majesty. This power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power is at work in you to back up your choice to say yes to righteousness and no to sin. The biggest thing that the enemy can do is to trick you into thinking that you're still bound. You are not bound. It is an illusion that you're bound. But if you practice it, that illusion will become more and more of your reality. But you can say no, everybody. I've got good news for you. You can say no. If Jude can do it, how much more can I do it and you do it in Christ? Amen? Mm. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, verse 5, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, notice that that's present tense, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. The problem with sin is it makes a terrible master, everybody. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he lives, he lives unto God. 
Likewise, reckon all of you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I had this thought this morning as I was driving in. If it was possible under the law, okay, even though under the law we were dead in our sins and transgressions, as the ancient Israelites were, if it was still possible in that condition to choose righteousness and to do something that was righteous, albeit in our own righteousness, not God's righteousness, yet that still be righteous, how much more is it possible now that we are the righteousness of God for us to continue choosing righteousness? And also, I realize, sadly, that just as a sinner can choose righteousness under the law, that doesn't mean they're saved, but they can choose righteousness. In the same way, that a, in the same way a saved Christian who is righteous in the righteousness of God can choose sin. And just like with Jude, I don't want Jude to touch that nail because that, that, I mean, it happens to be a cross and I don't want you to get weirded out by that. That treasured possession of Mimi and Papa's, I don't want him to touch it because it's my treasure. Are you with me? Not only that, an even greater treasure to me is that he would learn that there are some things that he should not touch and there's lots of things that he can touch. That is a treasure to me. And because that's a treasure to me, I want to impart to him this great treasure, which is righteousness is awesome and sin sucks. And the Bible even tells us in the book of Isaiah, I know, hold on, I'm, I'm actually going to look at it because I, don't, I haven't memorized, committed to memory that scripture, and I do want to make sure I get this right, okay? I think actually it's, it's, it's actually in the Psalms. Um, but it says, just bear with me for just a moment, that the fear of the Lord is clean. Psalm 19, verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean. And then it says in uh, in, come on, where are you now? In Isaiah 33, verse 6, that the fear of the Lord is God's very treasure. God's very treasure. I told you it was an obscure verse. How many of you knew Isaiah 33, 6? Hands up if you knew that. Okay. Am I? That's why I had to look it up because... It's just not one of those verses that rolls off the tip of your tongue. But think about it. The fear of the Lord is God's treasure. God doesn't want us to sin, not just because sin is so destructive, which it is, and absolutely that's why he saved us from our sins, but so much more than that. God has treasure for us that he wants to give us that our sin would have kept us from, but God has an eternal treasure for us. For example, the fear of the Lord, that love 
for God, that consciousness of God, that constraint of love, that invitation to spend eternity gazing upon his eyes of love and affection, to enter into this eternal relationship, because righteousness is, righteousness is relational, to turn to be brought into this eternal friendship relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that will go on and on and on forever and ever where you'll be in a new body that will be able to do all kinds of stuff that you can't even imagine possible in a new heaven and a new earth that is going to be an entire reign, rule and reign of righteousness. And God doesn't want you to miss it. It's so good, he says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart or mind has ever even understood what God has in store for those who love him. And he so much wants you to have it, he has even given you the same Holy Spirit, the spirit of the fear of the Lord, Isaiah 11 verse 2, he's given you the very same spirit of the fear of the Lord into your heart that is his treasure so that you can have him and have his treasure for eternity. Come on. Keep saying no to sin. Just keep saying no to it. And keep saying yes to the eternal prize. Nothing ever in this world is worth missing what God has for you in the next world. Ooh, shikabanga. So, let sin, therefore, let, sorry, let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield any of you your members as instruments of right, unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves. Everybody say yield in a nice southern accent. Yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you all are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know y'all not that to whom all of you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you all obey, whether of sin unto death or whether obedience unto righteousness. One way or another, you're either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave to righteousness, which leads to eternal life. Keep choosing, everybody. But God be thanked that all of you, the servants of sin, Sorry, but God be thanked that all of you were the servants of sin, but all of you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you all became the servants of righteousness. I've realized there's something better than trying not to sin, and that is doing the right thing in righteousness. If you're doing the right thing, you'll be occupied with doing the right thing. And not only that, if, you're, if you realize that the right thing is not a thing, it's a person, Jesus, 
You'll be completely occupied with Jesus. And when you're fully occupied with Jesus and your eyes are on Him as your prize and you're totally caught up in Him, just like my little grandson is caught up in Papa. What's Papa doing? Papa, 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 Bella, Bella. That's our dog's name. He's so obsessed with Bella and he's so obsessed with me, 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 me. He forgets all about the nail. He's obsessed with doing the right thing and the right thing is being with the right person. And when you're with the right person, you're doing the right thing because the right person is Jesus and he keeps you fully occupied with him, with righteousness, with this kingdom that Romans 14 verse 17, Romans yeah, 14, 17 says, the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not a matter of right and wrong, do's and don'ts, trying to drink this, trying not to drink that. The kingdom of heaven is no longer about you under the law being obsessed with trying not to do the wrong thing. The kingdom of heaven is you being fully, fully caught up in the magnificent obsession of Jesus, the right person. And when you're so caught up with him and so in love with him and so in relationship with him, all you want to do is please him. All you want to do is obey him because you've realized he's the nicest, most awesome person in the world. He has an endless bank account. He has endless healing for you. He has endless treasure for you. He has endless amazing relationships that will add to your life. He is amazing. Just like Jude, little Jude's grandfather is amazing. My grandfather's, I'm sorry, excuse me, my little Jude, my grandson, he's not sitting there going, I wonder if Papa's truck's going to start. I wonder if this roof's going to cave in. I wonder if there's a big hurricane coming that's going to wreck my house. I wonder if Papa and Mimi are ever going to leave me. He's not obsessed with the negative. He's obsessed with the goodness of his Mimi and Papa. And he doesn't have any time at all to be wasted thinking about trying to overcome a bunch of negativity. He's so fully into the positivity of righteousness, he's obsessed with the person of righteousness, inverted quotes, in his little world. So you understand what I'm talking about. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It's imputed. It's the gift of righteousness because the righteousness is a person. His name is Jesus and he dwells in you. He's the Father's gift to you for eternity. Mm. Being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you all have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when you all were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit, though, did you have then in those things whereof you're now ashamed? For the end of those things was death. But now, everybody say now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you all have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm excited about heaven on earth, but I'm even more excited that earth one day is going to be made brand new and it's going to be an earth filled with righteousness. 
a new heaven and a new earth where God and us dwell together. Let's stand, everybody. I want to finish with two verses. Psalm 119 and verse 133 says, Hold me, Lord, by your word, and let no iniquity have dominion over me. Let no iniquity have dominion over me. Sin is what we willfully do or don't do. Transgression is where we've actually broken God's law. Iniquity is the things that our ancestors have done and we have done that are sinful, that we did so much, we've become so good at it, it becomes a bondage to us and they're on the inside of us. They bubble up on the inside of us, whether we think about it or not. For example, you've been in families where there's a, there's a great-grandfather who had a, a temper problem. And then the grandfather has a temper problem. And then the, the father has a temper problem. And guess what? The kid's born preloaded with a temper problem. What is that? That's not just sin. That's not just transgression. That's iniquity. And I thank God that Jesus Christ upon the cross, he took up our infirmities and covered our iniquities. He has paid the price, not just our sin, not just our transgression, but he's conquered and given us the power to break our iniquities, to break us free from our iniquities. And, and Proverbs 28 verse 1 says that the wicked flee when nobody's chasing, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And what does a lion look like in front of its enemies? Chilled out under a tree, just lying there, bathing under the tree. I say the word lion to you and immediately think a ferocious, fierce animal. Yeah, can be. Most of the time, totally chilled out. Why? Because it's so darn fierce! It's so dangerous. It doesn't have to try to be the king of the jungle. It is the king of the jungle. If you go up to a lion while it's asleep and you so much as twitch next to it, it will instantly bat you and with one of the swipes of its paw, slightly by mistake even, it will slit your jugular throat and kill you in a split second. Why? Because it's a lion. Ah. It's fierce. And you know what? The righteous are bold as a lion. What does that mean? It means that most of the time you're totally chill and totally relaxed. Why? Because that word bold right there is the same word trust, confidence in the Lord. It says in Proverbs 3 verse 5, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And lean not under your own, on your own understanding. That word trust in the Lord right there is that same bold, bold as a lion. Totally trusting, trusting. And if you could, if, if under the law, a person was still able to be righteous, even albeit in their own righteousness, and be like a lion, as fierce and bold and relaxed as a lion, how much more can you, now that you're righteous with the righteousness of Christ, be totally chill in your life and you can overcome your temper and you can overcome your lying 
for convenience. And you can overcome that pornography. You can overcome that spending on things that you don't need. You can overcome your jealousies. You can overcome your capacity, your inability to forgive. You can overcome those iniquities. Why? Because of the righteousness of God in you. You can have confidence in the Lord. You can have boldness in God. When you're at work and there's a culture that you've got to You've got to stay many hours after you really should have gone home to your family, but you don't want to go home to your family because you know the boss is going to haul you in and fire you for breach of contract, even though you didn't breach your contract because your contract is eight hours a day. And so you end up staying 11, 12 hours a day under pressure, getting more and more sick, more and more unhealthy, and even worse, your family becoming unhealthy. Well, guess what? The righteous are bold as a lion. You can leave work when you're supposed to leave work and know that your God will take care of your position at your workplace. And no man and no devil and no woman and no devil could ever turn you out of that job because you are righteous and God gave you that job. You see how it works? Just reach out to the Lord right now. Let's say thank you, Holy Spirit, with all my heart that you dwell in me and that I'm righteous and I can be relaxed in that righteousness and I ask that you would fill me with a holy hatred for sin, that you would fill me with the fear of the Lord, Fill me, God, with the fear of the Lord. So that in the power of the fear of the Lord, I would depart from evil. Lord, I'm asking you in Jesus' name for a gift of the fear of the Lord to land upon our church community right now, our church family, that the spirit of the fear of the Lord, Isaiah 11:2 describes the seven spirits. There's one Holy Spirit, but He's manifested in seven distinct spirits. Revelations of the Spirit of God. And one of them is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It's God Himself. It's totally different to any fear. Fear is fear. The fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord. Now receive the fear of the Lord right now. Last week, you caught fire. This week, walk in the fear of the Lord for the rest of your life. It will keep you from sin and keep you in that gift of righteousness that's already yours in Christ Jesus.